a lot of people. I have not been introduced to most of you. Now the professor knows some of you. Um, let me introduce myself. I am from Belgium. My profession is a fiscal counsel. In German, that is Steuerberater. In Hungary, I wouldn't know. Uh, Do we have taxes in Hungary? Thank you. I became involved with a professor at a rather late stage in about 2003. Before that, I was trying to make money on the NASDAQ. <laughs> Familiar to anyone? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so, that means that most of these people in the room know what short and long means, right? We've established. Well, I would like to know from you very shortly is what it is that you are doing in two words. Starting on this. Selling gold. I don't get out of it. I'm an assistant at the IT company. Right. I'm a student. A student? Mystery. Yes. I'm retired. <laughs> and you did before you became engineer. Alright. A mathematical mind. Um, since I retired I decided to invest. Right. The person of South Africa. Most most of the time state garden. Sorry? I I work in the garden. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> and otherwise? Otherwise, uh, in Europe, I'm, I'm working in acquisitions. Mergers and acquisitions. Due diligence. Right. In um, perhaps financial, financial analysts and merger and acquisition specialists for the first time I think it's a kind of investigation of the company, the state 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 of the that, that, that used to be my dream job, what you are having. Used to be. Used to be. <laughs> but I've been put off. Right. I'm assistant of the company. Sorry? I'm assistant of the company. Alright. The same type of job, right? I am CPA, professional, and I am also a Okay. Financial jobs are the gentleman next to you is an engineer, I believe. A cameraman? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this, the person standing up is a cameraman and doubling as? Manufacturing machinery, telephone machinery. Right. And entrepreneur. Sorry? Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. 
we come to that. Yes. An inventor, I suppose. But not considering spread and drop it too much. <laughs> not yet. Right? I'm a young engineer and electrician, and uh, as a hobby, I study economics and uh, accumulate gold and silver. Excellent. Normal person like the one of us, yes. The gentleman from Australia? Yeah, I need software engineering and I also accumulate gold and silver and track features. Right, right. You trader? Yeah. University background or? Yeah, both. I'm going to bank. Trained economist? No, no, trader economist also and working for bank. Right. I'm a broker for equities and equity variables. Okay, you also went to school or went to university, had to study whatever economics. Yeah. Right. So I'm a head of equity sales desk in Hungary for a four years now. Excellent. Working in a local bank, also as a salesman, right. FX and commodities, bit of equities. Okay, right. Like working in logistics, formal, have an expertise in finance, work in a bank, like the guys, one and a half years, and I'm an investor as well. We all do investing. Well, if you have one, huh? And, um, Martha, tell what you're president of. We are a cargo company. Excuse me? You have? And uh, I'm currently writing on these issues. Gold, gold, silver. Okay. But I believe your background is sociology. Well, I, was, I would say it's more political science and political history. Science. Yeah. Okay. Right, I have now an idea. Which is important because I may be speaking above somebody's level or below somebody's level. Please forgive me if I do that. It's not my intention to obfuscate you or to, you know, speak in in, in such a small way that, that you, know, you can understand easily. I, I don't know. That's why certain terms to the financial people will be very easily understood now. I need to make sure that everybody is with me. Good. I used to live in South Africa for 13 years. I got my degree from the Ross Africanus University, which is now called Janusburg University, I think. And I was taught um, the name of Keynes. Never to forget. You know, that was a big hero at the time. And going back to Belgium, I was forced to study economics again because I could not validate my South African degree in economics and as an accountant. I could not start in Europe as an accountant. I had to prove that I could do European accounting know some European laws and therefore I was 
forced to enroll again at the age of 40 old at university again. Bureaucracy. Now you know a little bit about me. And I will start off by giving you a small TV show or a presentation and I will recapitulate on the professor's theory of productivity, or oh, sorry, of time preference. And I will talk about productivity of capital and I will visualize it in what the professor has called his hexagonal model. I have taken a bit of liberty with the word hexagonal. We all know, um, the engineers certainly know what a hexagonal means. You have six corners, right? <coughs> I have taken a little bit of liberty in keeping the six corners, but rearranging them a little bit. <laughs> I'm not an engineer, you can laugh at my model, whatever. Financial engineer. Different from technical engineer. This would be a classical example, right? Full marks. Good. I couldn't work with this. It took me a whole three minutes to come up with this. You can stare at this. It will become clearer in a minute. But I've taken those, I've taken the example of couple and a half rearranged portions. And that will become clearer as I will explain in a minute. On the screen, I have committed <coughs> crime. My crime is that I cut this piece from the Wall Street Journal. So this is an infringement of copyright. And I couldn't care. I want to start this portion with an ad that appeared in the Wall Street Journal. Can anybody, can anybody see this or should we take dim the light with it? Dim the light with it? Is that okay for the cameraman? <coughs> uh, maybe, well, maybe you know what you should see. this picture. I will use this picture uh, a little bit later. But I thought it would be a nice touch in uh, what I had to say. Good. I had to study economic theory 
twice. Once in 1985, and last year I had to do it again, gradually. And one of my textbooks had a nice picture of the economic machinery. Uh, again, little crime of plagiarism. I don't know who the artist is, but um, as you can see, this machine was designed to show you monetary economics, and it looks very complicated, isn't it? Speaking of financial engineering, this is financial engineering, and uh, I've put the little windmill next to it. Meaning, <laughs> it is useless. <laughs> I was hesitant in putting up this next slide. Some of you are familiar with it, maybe a long time ago, or not so long ago. I see nodding faces, the ISLM model, macroeconomics. I had to study it twice. Don't ask me what it is because I still can't explain it. It is the equilibrium model again. IS stands for apparently all points where investments and equal savings or, or where investments are in equilibrium with savings. And um, through a very complicated explanation, which you can find in any book from Professor Frieden, probably, and Professor Krugman, and whoever, you know, you can look at it. If you understand that, you can come and explain that to me. It's conventional knowledge, and once again, a little window. This is what I think of the ISLM model, having written exams on that twice. Now, in 2003, I stumbled across the hexagonal model. Now, the professor has never seen this. Both professor, you wrote this. <laughs> this is what I will briefly explain. We'll go through that um, rather briefly because this is a visualization of what the professor has just explained. This is the interest model and also the uh, productivity of capital. If a schmuck like me can understand the hexagonal model and I fail to grasp what the ISLM model can do for me, especially after uh, the NASDAQ, I thought, I thought I knew it all. Ah, I was going to make a killing. Not. I didn't understand what went wrong, so I went back to study and found the hexagonal model and then a little light went on. It was a lot clearer to me. That's why I think the hexagonal model, the 
interesting that professors thought about is uh, a lot of work. On the left-hand side, on the bottom part, we see the two words, annuitant with a D and annuitant with a T. On the axis, I've drawn age. The annuitant with a D is the younger person. The annuitant with a T is the older person. They have, they are the basis of, of this whole model. The annuitant with a T is the, is the older person. He's got some wealth, and his problem is trying to convert this wealth. And I've made a mistake there. Wealth should, should be into income. The annuitant with a T is the, typically the younger person, and he's trying to convert income into wealth. We've seen this in the previous lecture that the professor has touched on. Touched on. I don't know if you have read all the, the, this model on, on the internet with the professor. Have you? Is this making it clear? The visualization makes it clearer. Right, we've covered this. I should say, in the time of the Greeks, 2,000 years ago and to 2,500 years ago, the working people were the annuitant, and the old people, the annuitant with the T, they both had a problem. How to make savings for the young persons and how to convert savings into wealth for the old person. That's why we have drawn on the left-hand side zero for zero interest. If you do not allow zero interest, if you do not allow interest, there is direct conversion of gold for the old person to disworth gold into income and for the younger person he has to hoard by converting his productiveness, his labor and try to save that. Enter interest in the system and here it becomes interesting. Under the oldest, the, the oldest system, it, there was, you know, there was nothing else to do. You could only convert your your gold into or this this word, your gold, or try to go hold your gold for the younger person. That was the Pareto optimum, since nothing else was allowed. And the Pareto optimum is that clear for anyone? Yes. Pareto optimum is, is the optimum point where you cannot do anything else without harming other people. Into words. In a century led economy where economy where there's no uh, interest allowed, that would be that would be it. If you enter the inventor and the entrepreneur, as the professor has explained. There could be a direct relationship. The inventor is also the younger person. The entrepreneur is the older person. 
what's the capacity of the inventor? The inventor has brain power, if I put it in a nutshell. The entrepreneur has willpower. And on the bottom part, the annuitants have capital. And they can make an agreement, direct agreements. The younger generation could make an agreement amongst themselves, the inventor and the annuitant, at a certain amount of interest. And they would form a partnership. Because they both need to accumulate wealth. So they combine some capital and some brain power. Meaning, coming back to the straddle, there would be short wealth and long future. <laughs> right? Correct me if I'm wrong. On the other side, briefly recapitulating what we have said so far today. The older generation, their long capital and short income. Now there's another struggle. Is everybody with me? If you're not with me, stop. Makes sense? Alright, so this model still stands. Because this is the first time I put this on the screen. Enter the next phase, which is the capitalist. I should say maybe that uh, the basic framework um, would be, of course, the, the, the capitalists in the bottom, the annuitants. They are capitalists also, but we make a distinction in the, set, in the sense that. Uh, the annuitants would, could, could also form um, a relationship amongst them, uh, horizontally that is, because they could be father and son. And if you think this model is not, uh, is far-fetched, think about those terms that are called father and son, Smith and Sons, boys and boys, or whoever that with sons, Shoe, shoemaker, horse maker, whatever, uh, those old uh, professions, and the sons. That would be uh, an exact example of that. So it's not far-fetched, it is, it is real life. Now, there are no symmetrical positions. That is important because um, there is a lack of symmetry in the model. The providers of capital on the bottom, they are dominant. Why are they dominant? Simply because if a politician or a system comes around and forbids interest, like we have religious systems that forbid any interest, usually they call it, so they, they outlaw interests. Well, what happens? The bottom part survives because they can convert back to the hoarding and this hoarding. And who loses his position? The inventor and the entrepreneur. There will be jobs. Question. Was 
exclusory interest on interest. So exclusory really is similar in this interest case, interest on provided capital. Uh, yeah, users, users of capital. Usually, usually would be, um, I would define usually. No, no, that has nothing to do with usury. There are users of oh, right. capital and providers of capital. Which is which? The providers of capital would be on the bottom and the users would be on the top. Was that your question? No, it was, that is clear. But it was the term, usury. You referred to this uh, Catholic church and interest have been forbidden. Yes. And I looked it up a little bit and I understood it that the interest on interest was forbidden by, which is killing the system right now. But basically, interest also a long time ago was, was at least uh, discussed because this, this is what providing capital is available and they are put interest. But the interest on the interest, which is then exceptionally depleting the system. I grant you that I will um, have, I have to make this in a nutshell. Um, under Islamic system, <coughs> There is no interest. You're not allowed to. So I will make. I'll have to make it very generally applicable because it's a theory. Now, in the 17th century, we have we have heard the, the example of Leonardo da Vinci, who was before the Reformation and before the 17th century. There was no capital providers. There were no capitalists. But what happened in the 17th century? We have the advent of the corporation to start. And here's where history comes in. Because the professor probably very knowingly just described our historic economic system and how it evolved. From what? We have the first capitalists, let's say around in the 17th century, and the most notorious ones were the Mississippi scheme. Does that ring a bell? Should I go into the Mississippi scheme? Yeah. Um, that was, well, from the point of the capitalists, that was the formation of a company. Never in history before you could make a company. Look, it was the South Sea bubble that was almost the same thing. Uh, it went bust. But people for the first time were not trading in their own private capacities, they were trading as a company. They were bust in a big way. That's besides the issue that the advent of the company as a separate entity, as a legal entity, that was important. Because that is the advent of the capitalist. Since then, 300 years later, we, know all, we all know that we can form separate companies or separate bodies, legal bodies. And I will have to go faster. We have also the investment banker. Before we shoot all bankers, which we should not do, that is an important part of society, the investment banker, because he is the go-between uh, for all the uh, four corners of this system. He takes, he, he basically buys at the bid and sells at the ask or the floor and the ceiling. And he can he takes orders from all corners and convert them quickly. This capitalist and investment banker facilitates 
facilitate a whole economy. We have here an explanation why our society has evolved in what it is today. All sorts of um, combinations of these parties are possible. The main sense is if we have a little bit more competition from the providers of capital and the capitalists, their competition meaning they, they can provide capital, it brings down the interest rate. Because if you do not have a capitalist, think before the 17th century, interest rates were enormous. They were up in the 20s. Am I right? I'm not a historian. Any historians among us? The point is that brings down the interest rate in a natural way, not through a force of government or pressure of law. The hexagonal model that a professor has uh, thought about or built upon is a natural model under a gold standard, not where it's a central bank. There's no central bank here anyway. This central bank is out of the picture. Forget it. It's not there. This is under an unadulterated gold standard. So the floor, or at least the interest rates, the floors come, come down. And to the capitalists, we have more capital, and you know it's easily more easily available. From 20%, we come down since the 17th century. That makes sense, and it explains why we are where we are today. Yes. But it, it would help enormously in the economy. Uh, but that was the assumption of previous sessions. Unfortunately, time is limited. Now, um, you've seen the bid and ask, which Karl Menger observed, and which all the NASA traders would have found out that there was such a thing as a bid and ask, and anything you can imagine in between. And you can put in orders. I mean, it's, it comes naturally. And conventional economics makes us believe that um, the average of the bidding ask that is where we are, uh, and we can draw a straight line and forget about bidding ask, which is too simple. Because that is discarding the hexagonal model. And they, they, they can simply do with one line and equilibrium line. It doesn't exist. So this is, and I still have a few slides on the floor. This is the definition of the floor. Theoretically, uh, 
I mean, you can read it also. The flow for the rate of interest is determined by the rate of marginal time preference, which is the subject of the previous uh, lecture. It is the rate at which the opportunity cost of holding the bond becomes critical to the marginal bondholder. Uh, the bondholder, that is the capital, those are the capitalists at the bottom. And obviously, if I put this into layman's terms, it would mean, do I hold this bond paying 4%? Or do I do something else, which pays 5%? And you do arbitrage. Then you may not call it arbitrage, but that is what you are doing. Giving short, short something else and go last one. That is arbitrage. Now, this is the definition of the floor. The opportunity to carry wealth in the form of the present good, rather than the future good, which is a gold bond. That would determine the floor. It will never crack down the floor because they will, uh, people will never allow the floor to tumble. And, it's, and the floor we will see later is dormant. The ceiling, that is different. The ceiling for, for the rate of interest is determined by the rate of marginal productivity of capital, which is the second half, and that is simply the rate at which the opportunity cost of carrying the capital stock becomes critical to the entrepreneur. Because he has to decide, in other words, do I keep my stock, do I keep in this business, or is it just too damn difficult and will I leave this business? Once you have capital and you can invest, there's, you can invest in gold, bonds, safe, or you can invest in, in, in risk-carrying assets such as stock, to make it simple. And the advent of the investment banker makes it easy. Today we have little uh, uh, streams and platforms. That is, that, that is what I'm talking about. This is what the professor is talking about. Yes. Uh, yes. What is the definition of gold bond in this system? Who issues it? A gold bond is a um, contract. Okay. Somebody issues it okay. because he wants to attract capital. Okay. It, it is the company that wants to attract capital. Right. And that is, that is again a, a number of entrepreneurs with their own capital who want to attract other people's money and they would in an ideal world, under other underdeltrated gold standard, they would attract uh, other people's gold, and the dividend would be payable in gold. That's a gold bond. Okay, so it's still a bond in the sense of an IOU, except it's payable in gold and is interest and is capital, capital are defined in gold. Yes. Okay. And pay Attracts pay. gold and pays gold. Yes. Okay. And you can you can make it in you know dollar terms or euro terms. Basically, um, what I've understood from the professor is forget dollars, forget euros. Yeah. Count in fine grains, grains. Sure. and weights, yeah. Yeah. and you will not get confused simply because that is basically as 
marginal, um, you know, the, the marginal utility of gold is constant. Sure. And it's not made of rubber. A dollar or a euro, you know. <laughs> how long is a meter? Well, it depends how long. You know, how long, how much is a dollar? Well, depends. So that's its weakness. <laughs> <laughs> that's the weakness. <laughs> you cannot do that with gold. Yeah. The alchemists have tried. That is a gold plot. Um, the ceiling is defined by the uh, marginal productivity of capital. Another visualization, if you want, the ceiling, the floor. What do people do? They sell bonds to the short bonds and buy stock. If the interest goes down to low, they will keep on selling bonds and buying up stocks. And the entrepreneur will do that. Interest rates are too high, people will sell stock and buy bonds. That will be the same. Yes? Sorry, should the bottom one be sell bond by gold? Or I'm going to ask the same question. Uh, under a horizontal arbitrage, yeah, yes, you could. Maybe it's an old stuff. It depends on what kind of, of strategy you're doing. You could do that, um, you could do that among horizontally between gold and bonds, but you're staying in gold. Because previously you said the floor is a uh, marginal bond holder. Uh, selling bond for gold, taking gold present there. So that's why the size of the gold and the young people are selling something for the bond. That is this guy between gold and the moon mining, for example. No, no, this is, I honestly send the gold bond and buy the stocks. Because yes. I'm very very working. this is not a, a, a whole gas box, this is really some company with yeah. delivery value. Those, yes, in sure. well. Those people who want to buy stocks, buy stocks. Yeah. You, can, you can exit the market altogether and stay in gold, meaning that you, do, you know, if you sell gold bonds and you buy another gold bonds, that's a totally different arbitrage because, I mean, it's, it's horizontal arbitrage. The uh, uh, question of arbitrage between gold and gold bonds is time preference yes. and the arbitrage between stocks and bonds is productivity of capital. It is on both sides productivity of capital, so at the bottom as well. Because I thought the floor was you sell your bond and you buy gold because you don't you have a low interest rate. You know, I will. Let, let me go through the next five slides and it will become clear what types of operations you can do because obviously you can do lots of operations. Stay in gold, get out of gold, into bonds or, or into stocks or whatever. Now, the vertical, the entrepreneur does, this is the vertical arbitrage. Okay, let's ask one question. Uh, did you identify the capitalist in physical reality? Is the capitalist the entrepreneur? Is it the director? Is it the shareholders? Who is he physically in this world? Obviously, the entrepreneur has a little bit of his old money because he's also on the older side. He's got his own money. If you have a company, you have your own capital and you have other people's money. Foreign capital. Not foreign from another country, but I mean, what is the word in English? Um, 
your own capital and um, what's it called? The balance sheet we have. On the top side we have uh, your own equity and um, basically the, the liability. Well, it's a liability. Now, yeah. so, so you say we're capitalists, so you say you will have to Yes, 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 no, I mean, the entrepreneur has his own money at stake, and then some other people's money at stake. Yeah. Investors? So, yeah. so the capitalist is... That's a broker. Sorry? This, this capitalist is a broker, that's a, you know, somebody who's... People bring money together, that would be a, a capitalist. And they, they, they borrow their, their capital to other um, inventors and entrepreneurs to make it productive. But I don't take this. They're just making a living on the ceiling and the floor. They, they do, you know, that's, that's their business. The, 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 the capitalist in this, in this picture is uh, not an entrepreneur. He's not, he's, he's you know, that's a banker. Call it a banker. He's even more amazing. Yes, Mark's not. Yeah. Mark. That's why he can buy the floor and sell the ceiling. All right. I'll have to do this quickly because this is vertical arbitrage. I've made in yellow then it turns the floor vertical arbitrage is um, uh, what we've seen here. Um, uh, we, need, we need to introduce uh, vertical arbitrage and definition it determines your net earnings, and you need to um, basically see what the PE. The price earnings is of the bond and the price earnings of the stock. The price earnings of the bond is very fixed. The stock is uh, can, uh, float. And the capitalists in this picture uh, would make a living uh, out of that. But also the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur can also be a I will have to go a bit faster, otherwise I'll never get it. Um, this is where I'll start. I should start here before. The marginal productivity of capital is not an easy concept. At least it wasn't easy for me. I had to read it a few times, and maybe I have, I'm the only one um, with this uh, problem, but it finally dawned on me. If you have two possibilities here, you have capital invested here for on the left hand side for 10 years and it yields 5%, it would reach, okay, it would give you cash flow, manual cash flow rate is 209. And on the other side, it will, uh, at 6%, it will give you a cash flow of 211. Obviously, you choose times zero for the higher yield. At certain levels of interest, this is what would happen. Let me explain, let me explain what I mean. If an entrepreneur has capital and is deciding, like you have said before, some of your friends have an idea and they made it into a business, they may have the combined role of inventors and entrepreneurs and put up some of their own capital and attract other capital. But basically they are four corners. 
you, you make it a bigger operation and you can clearly see four corners and maybe six. But a small operation would be all four corners into one person. Now you have a choice. You can go to the bank and say, all right, I have a million, whatever million, and the bank gives me, or the gold bond gives me six or five, and I have an idea which would yield six. Fine, let's do it. At that moment, you've invested your capital. Turn the hat. Turn the hat, how should you say? At this moment in time, it is important to see that your fluid capital, your liquid capital, has become fixed capital. You cannot convert it back so easily into money. You've bought this building, you've bought your machinery, whatever, you, you know, taking a patent, patent, patent lawyer fortune, whatever. You cannot convert it back without a loss. Therefore, it is important to see that if the interest rate would drop, say you are at invested at six percent and the interest rate would drop, you have an opportunity cost. You have an opportunity cost. It's not so easy to understand. And this is the problem of main economics. At that moment that you are investing, your newcomer can invest at 5%. You have done some investment in an opportunity, it is paying, you are attracting competition. People after you can invest in your business or can invest in the same type of business at a lower cost. You got your money at six percent. You made, you know, eighteen months later, whatever time later, you have competition. And under a free market system, they will win. And you will lose. This is what will happen. Eventually, when interest rates drop and they drop this continuously. You will say, oh, I've had enough, I cannot continue with this because other people in the free market competition, there is, there is I mean, so much competition that is, it is called atomistic, uh, which is the economic term, atomistic, which means you, you're a price taker, not a price maker. You cannot determine the price of your product, you take it. And because the competition is financed at a lower rate, they determine the price, not you, that's the first one. Because they determine the price, your capital will be eaten. And at a certain moment in time, you have to decide to continue or not. If you do not continue, this is what will happen. That's, that's the relevance of the law. And I'll comments. If you approach that, and I fully agree on that from the pure financial economic model, you, it's absolutely correct. Only one comment is that determination that you have land it on fixed rates, otherwise you were participating and benefiting from the lower rate as well. Secondly, and that is a key comment of mine, I just look at it also from the opposite view or a different
I would very much question myself, but also any entrepreneur who sets up a business shop on this marginal utility already. If we cannot be pretty sure that his value creation is far above floor and ceilings of yeah. interest rate fluctuation, he should not enter a business at all. Yeah, that's because right. he said on the mercy of the bank from the beginning to the very end. How many people are in that position? Yeah. I think most successful companies. And most there's still the majority, don't um, And the most successful go anyhow with own capital. Yes. Most successful companies in Europe and all the Americas have done so with bankers and speakers. A hundred years ago, we couldn't have that. You can have it for every major event, even if it goes real. Just comments. So yeah. The economical theory are fully buying yes. real on that. But I just want to add this point the whole economy, the very great economy, has some further inputs. That is uh, a fully valid point, um, which is, and you're describing vertical arbitrage. That opportunity that attracts a large enough spread, and you're pretty sure maybe you could put it in concrete that nobody else can touch it. Or maybe brain power, which is possible. The, the, will, the willpower and the brain power of the inventor combined can give you such an advantage that, that you may survive for another hundred years. Possibly. I think now we are, we are making the in a different way. We are touching, if we move in this marginal account, the ceiling of a financial should not enter. And everybody is trying properly, but that's also not reality. No. I'm just bringing in the point of the many questions starting up business that we have here on the side. Uh, there should be enough security margin that gives you room to move because interest rates will have changed. And when you start a business now, you never will know what the end is. With interest go up, fundamentals most likely, but it can go over the other side. And if you put your vertical artifact in such a narrow margin of error, I would say it's not very secure in my businesses. That is true. I, I grant you that. I grant you that. Um, but that, it was we have to look from this interest, uh, interest uh, determination point of view. That is our key point. Mm -hmm. um, the next time I do this presentation, I will cut and incorporate your remarks because this is my first time. It's a trial for visualization. You know, the, the next slide is, is basically borrowed from, from classical um, uh, mathematics to economics. Marginal, this is, this is probably uh, one of the better examples. It's a bit mathematical. Most people who have done mathematics and economics would have no problem getting it. You have declining marginal productivity in anything, also in capital. That's what is depicted here. Um, the more capital, I mean, you cannot forever pump money into a business and um, at some certain stage of, of, of business, on the bottom half you can see um, it's stopping out. And that is when, when the marginal productivity will drop to zero. The next investment 
for the next dollar that you invest in will yield another will, will yield zero. You know, that's way that's the maximum. Um, this slide just to clarify uh, marginal, what it means to be uh, the marginal I will have to refer back to my nice Maybe just one clar clarifying remark here. Um, the hexagonal model describes the interest rate cycle in, in such a way that interest rates are never fixed. The top, the bottom floor do fluctuate. Ceiling. Uh, the mechanism of the ceiling and the mechanism of the floor are two different mechanisms, and that is what the interest rate cycle is all about. Um, capital is productive at a certain rate. You may have an advantage. Some others may not be lucky, so lucky. But in general, we are all economists um, in the sense that we participate in daily life. And that makes us economists, because we have to decide, do we take our savings and start this business, be it small or be it large? Do we spend our income and spend it in the shop or not? Do we buy some saving product from a bank or do we buy some gold? Again, those are economic decisions which makes economists for all of us, and that is why it's completely ridiculous that uh, Wikipedia <laughs> mentions uh, that the professor is not an economist. That would be completely ridiculous. We are all economists. I see that my time is uh, running out. Maybe to clarify on your remark, the um, <coughs> next slide would clarify who is basically an agent. The entrepreneur is an agent, and we see this in, in daily life. The CEO of, of a big corporation, Coca-Cola, is basically an agent, both for himself, he's got some money in there, but also for the capital providers, the people holding the shares. And uh, then this, this model explains beautifully how, I mean, it's a, it's a simple model and it explains very difficult concepts. Providers of capital are marketing everybody's going to go for Now there is, uh, the professor made some remarks on von uh, Mises or Mises himself. Von Mises is sometimes used. Mises. Mises. Uh, that there is a, a problem with simply uh, an explanation, the explanation that Mises has given on, on um, 
on, in, on interest. Basically. And I read um, literally from my notes here, which will also be, be provided to you. The problem is that Mises fails to make it clear how this kind on future goods should manifest itself. Meaning that, you, you know, there's, there's a market for apples, there's a market for commodities, for values, whatever, um, commodities, anything. And there is also um, a future uh, market, but the present price of a future good does involve an interest rate. Now, this is now a circular, circular argument. This is the mathematical um, description of present value, or if I can, you, know, you can write in the future value also, slightly, um, I have to slightly change this. Um, the professor will recognize this. No? No? Oops. <laughs> now I have to explain this. <laughs> PV stands for present value. Large A means that there's a certain, it's just the cash flow. The cash flow of, of, of a certain number of years, and years. Uh, so so if, if you invest in a future market, there's a certain products um, which would yield certain, you know, at, at, at an interest rate high. This is uh, financial algebra and uh, the problem here is that uh, in order to get to the present value of a future good, you need an interest rate, otherwise you cannot get there. Is that the zest of the argument against Mises? I think so. Because Mises said um, we have um, a market today and a futures market, but he fails to make the connection that you need an interest rate to get there. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I come with lots of stuff. You need the inflation, you need the future, just to make the inflation because you've got this I will, I will not go in, into this, I'm not a mathematician, um, I had to get this again last year in, in, in exams. You know, maybe I could smack some people by trying to be intelligent and put this up. Forget about what I mean to, to show you is that um, you need an interest rate in order, you know, this country is for an interest rate, in order to get to a future value. How will you value an apple or a commodity today? If you don't have a discount rate for the future, how will you make a future price if you don't have an interest rate? It's, it's, it's not possible. That's the problem. So we have a problem with the theory of Mises, which was a small circular reason. Professor Executive Model does explain both the floor and the ceiling. Everybody's rolling that. Uh, maybe I've been too fast this, but you can all read it in, uh, on the internet in the hexagonal model. And uh, if you wish, I will make this picture available. I don't have copyright on that. 
Und dann machen wir jetzt. Um, I don't have to go a bit faster on this, but this is basically the, uh, the source of an income for the capitalists, and I mean the capitalists here in this picture, because uh, both well, capitalists and investment bankers, they are the market, market makers, and they have a role to play, they can by the floor and The partnerships of the annuitant and the investor, on the one hand, don't have to be direct. They can go through the road. Basically, in layman's terms, this means you can take, take your bag of money, bring it to an honest investment banker, and he will make money for you. Yeah, right. Under another because he will find the bond for you. And the reason why you can make, uh, I mean, now, now, this is this is the subject of the next, my next presentation, the destruction of capital. Because interest rates under a natural system, everybody can live in here, both the capitalist and the investment banker, because they can play the spread here. Right now, forget this because this is not in play. We have a central bank who decides who earns what. Yeah. And immediately, the speculation yeah. role, or the speculation hat, comes up, and obviously, they do it. So, entrepreneurs, I should say, have um, three ways of making money. First is they can do horizontal arbitrage, or they can they can finance their acquisitions of firms by doing vertical arbitrage between the stock and the bond markets. Vertical arbitrage is between stock and bonds. An entrepreneur with a little bit of capital himself, he will choose. What will I do? Go to the stock market? Nah. Only 50% and the other 50% in bonds. He sees an opportunity, he's shorting some bonds by selling them, keeping up the flow, and goes into the overpriced, uh, into the under, uh, he sells the overpriced bond and enters the stock market. And he can do that in a flash because we have a developed market here, capitalists and investment bankers. Take those people away in the middle. That means the system is not so developed. And we're back to the Leonardo da Vinci. Yes. Yes. Because then, take away the middleman here, and it's back to direct relationships. Meaning that you have much higher interest rates. Yes. Yes. Because they're monopolists, yes. Yeah, it is, it is uh, not there. It is, uh, there is not uh, the kind of power which is the Exactly. Exactly. That's the power. Yes. The capitalists will bring money, more competition, interest rates. So, vertical arbitrage is one. So, the second way in, in the source of profit for entrepreneurial profits is uh, they can refinance their ownership of stocks by doing horizontal arbitrage to the buyer. Second source of profit would be horizontal arbitrage. 
Amin. That they would um, sell bonds and buy bonds. Those who yield better. And thirdly, the third source of profits for the entrepreneur would be reorganizing the firms under his control. Now, that's it. That would be, I prefer Coca-Cola over 3M, or I prefer XYZ to that one, because they have better management. So, the entrepreneur has horizontal arbitrage in the stock market, horizontal arbitrage in the bond market, vertical arbitrage. Is that clear? Have I lost anybody here? Um, kind of. Could, oh. Maybe, could you just, I have a point on that because I figured you're going to come back to what you did. So, vertical arbitrage, the, the three sources of profit we are here, horizontal arbitrage in the bond market, horizontal arbitrage in the stock market, and, uh, but I thought you said that vertical arbitrage determines the floor of the, uh, uh, the interest rates. I thought you were going to tie that back. Maybe I didn't write your, uh, maybe I didn't write the uh, numbers properly here. Sorry, what was the third? Yeah, no. Let me back up. What, what was the third source of uh, profit for the? Uh, There's three sources. Going back to the Pactimonal model a little bit, you can do vertical arbitrage, horizontal arbitrage in the stocks, and in the bonds. Okay, but the the but and the vertical arbitrage between stocks and bonds sets the uh, sets the floor of the interest rate. Yes. Yes. Peter. And the marginal capital productivity of capital is determining the scene. Yes. Yeah, we're over the time at this point. Don't worry. Yeah. So <laughs> what we're going to have to do is pick this up at the next session. Yes. No, no. You, you have number nine, lecture number nine. Yes. Which you, you have to carve out five minutes or whatever you need to round this up then. Okay. Absolutely, because I have. Um, we have a time table to follow. I've basically covered what I wanted to say. Okay. Well, of course you you can say the last word. So please go ahead and do Mainstream economics does not speak about the 
any any of these people's scriptures here. I'm just trying to understand what, what that previous chart meant. Does that mean you can do either thing there? Uh, the previous chart would be this? Uh, yes. Where it's well, buy stock, sell stock, does it mean you can do either one you choose? Is that what you meant there? Yes, buy stock and sell stock means the PE of uh, this one is okay. more attractive than the other one. So, okay. Okay. short of this one and long the other one. Okay, that's all I want to know. That, 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 would be, that would be what you find in the professor's text, and I'm making it visually here. Huh? Yes. If you go back to the, the slide you showed where you see the uh, hexagonal chart. The hexagonal chart? Yeah, all the layers. Yeah. Now, what I'm trying to understand is, is when you have a, 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 an influx of unlimited capital, How does that flow into this and disturb it? Nice question. That would be lecture nine. <laughs> <laughs> it would. It would be the destruction of also It doesn't fit in here because under a natural working economy, gold standard, you would have a ceiling and a floor of interest. With the mechanisms I've described here, well, I've described the professor has described, I'm just putting up a picture. The way I visualize this when I'm sitting in Brussels and the professor was in Budapest, I've never shown this thing, this is the first time. Um, this would be under a natural system. Under a fiat monetary system, the picture is different. And the consequences will be uh, explained in lecture 9. And I will explain nicely, I will try to, where the money goes, what the classical, or what, what mainstream economists would say where the money goes, and what the where the professor says the money goes. I will explain that, but it's a good question. That would be for um, my next opportunity. And in order to give an answer to you, I will take uh, another five minutes. Another five minutes. But if you have to go to the little boys' room or the big boys' room, yes. um, on the horizontal arbitrage, if you think I'm um, far-fetched, or if the professor is far-fetched, think of these management gurus, because this is the role they play. Um, I believe we have uh, Tom Peters and Peter Drucker. For the, those names, ring a bell. Management gurus in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Where, where are these people operating? For most part, in horizontal arbitrage and in improving your own survivability of your own stock. How do we improve management? How do we improve the process? Um, they think they have invented hot water. Hmm. Um, that these people are many times smarter than me. But um, after having read the professor's model, I know where to fit them, which is in horizontal. That's why I picked wrong. Um, and it may be, you know, this came up to me thinking and reading the model, and, you know, this is wrong, these people. Not to be underestimated because this is how you keep abreast. I mean, nothing is static. 
these people have made important contributions in improving efficiency and making sure that you survive and increasing comp competitiveness. Thinking and linking back to this model, this is where you are busy. So I agree, but isn't that the character of the free market economy yes. in itself? Because you will not survive if you don't put this on the Absolutely. They have a role to play and they've played it wonderfully. We've covered this. Um, basically also we have covered this because um, I've said decorated people here. Peter, the, economy. the professor wants to end this at this point. Uh, right. Okay. Unfortunately, we have to follow a timetable and I thought I should end this first day of our session with a, on the lighter note. I want to tell you a little story, a funny story, but a true story. I'm very grateful to Hungary. I am a product of this country. I was born here, I was educated here, I even finished uh, university here as a mathematician, as you know. And uh, my most famous professor was Frederick Ries. He was really world famous. And he wrote the Bible on functional analysis. The trouble was that he wrote his book in French. And for the rest of his life, he was lecturing on that book by translating ad hoc his own book in the classroom. And the setup was this. There was an armchair, a hundred times more comfortable than what you are sitting on or I'm sitting on. And he was just turning pages in his book and translating it. And there was an associate professor sitting in the first row, all by himself. <coughs> and there was an assistant professor at the blackboard who was writing the formulas on the table. The job of the associate professor was to nod, which meant the green light for the assistant professor to put things on the board. Now then, there was a couple of empty rows and then a few uh, uh, students over, very zealous, very eager to show that they are following the thing. And they were sitting in the third and fourth row. And then there was nothing in the next ten rows. The boys were playing card games in one corner of the back of the room and the girls were knitting sweaters or whatever in the other corner of the back of the room and that was the setup. So the professor just translated from his own book. The guy in the first row was nodding and the assistant professor was writing a blackboard. At one point, the assistant professor stopped writing. So the professor said, well, something wrong? No, no, I just don't understand, he said, the, uh, the assistant professor said, the associate professor, well, I still understand it, well, then let's go on. So they went on, professor still translated, he was nodding, and the guy just had no choice, he had to write thing. And at one point, the associate professor stopped nodding. So the professor said, something wrong? No, no, 
uh, he said, I just don't understand, said the associates. So now the two guys didn't understand. The professor said, well, I still understand it. Let's get on. So they went on. <laughs> Nobody cared about the audience. So that went on for another minute or two, and then the professor said, damn it, I don't understand. <laughs> Now, the, the professor was keeping his own timetable. He couldn't care what the uh, clock showed. He said, oh, that's a good time to have a break, so let's uh, have a break at this time. And they went out, and 20 minutes later they came back, and they just continued as if nothing had happened. Now, of course, we were curious to find out what had happened. So we asked the assistant professor, what had happened? Don't tell anybody. The old man turned two pages. <laughs> <laughs> so on that lighter note, I would like to close the first day and we'll uh, continue tomorrow. Thank you very much.